got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Hey, welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill, here with Richie Daigle, my co-host, uh, Sonar Sales Executive over on the Sonar side. How are you doing today, Richie? Yeah, doing great. Doing great. How are you today? Uh, doing good. Doing good. I'm, I'm remote today. I'm back home in Oklahoma for uh, a few days. Uh, back here in my dad's office, cowboy gear all around. So, uh Hopefully, we don't have any technical issues, uh, but we'll fight through it if we do. Uh, but first, let's thank our sponsor, Surge Transportation. Surge is the, the fastest growing 3PL in logistics today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limited territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing industry. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surge transportation.com we have a good show for you to do today don't we uh richie absolutely that was a fun conversation last week too speaking of surge so uh yeah yeah looking on on building on that and then jumping into more of the conversation we had two weeks ago so yeah lots of good stuff on the way yeah yeah omar is always great to, to talk to he has great insights especially about the spot market about great business models for 3pl for freight brokerage about you know, finding your specialization, finding your niche, finding what you do really well and sticking to that. And uh, that's, that's important in sales and, and business and, and whatever you do in life is, is, is find that focus, be able to practice, 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 and go out and execute. And uh, I don't know if you watched any of the Masters over the weekend, uh, but you saw a lot of great golfers uh, have, a, have, a, have a, a tough time with, with changing conditions. And that's that's part of it too. You know, you had really hard greens and then the rain came on, on Saturday afternoon and then things uh, firmed up a little bit and it was hard for everyone to go back out there and adjust on the fly. But this in, in business and sports and in life, sometimes that's what you got to do, right? Yeah. The, the thing that was amazing to me was uh, the, the guy that won, uh, you know, there was some, there was some delay and he went back everyone asked him like, what'd you do during the delay? And he's like, well, I just went back to my car and scrolled through my phone. And I, and I know that every sports reporter was searching for some golden nugget of this is what the mm -hmm. winners do and they're off time and all that. And, and, uh, sometimes it's counterintuitive, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need a break. Sometimes you do, right. You, you put the past behind you. You know, uh, and, and going back to uh, the, the show Ted Lasso, you know, what's the happiest animal? It's a goldfish, right? You can only remember 10, 10, 10 seconds. Go forget. Go forget that. And then he went out. He probably just sat around and forgot about everything and then went out and and shot like six or seven birdies on the on the back uh, back nine. And that's really what separated him from everyone else. Hideki from, from everybody else over the four days is that one hot streak. That one hot streak, and then just keep playing good golf after that. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those things, too, where I, I get the feeling that, and I don't know a whole lot about him, but I get the feeling that he doesn't take himself overly seriously, right? Like, he's driven, he's got goals and everything, but he knows who he is. And that's, he knows his identity, and his identity is not going to be swayed by, you know, whatever does or does not happen on the golf course, though he's certainly going after that goal. And that I think that separation is key to be able to, 
create some space to where you're just not impacted. And now he's got the freedom to go scroll through a phone during a, a rain break. And, uh, you know, that he's probably letting a lot of pressure go away that way. And I thought that was mm-hmm. really interesting. And that's a, a good thing in sales too, right? Whenever you're struggling or you're in the heat of sales quota for the quarter or for the month or for the year, whatever it is, just to, to release some pressure, let, let it all out, let it go and just start a, a new day, right? Or if you go out and get shelled in a, a pitching appearance, right? You just, you just let it go. I think a lot of times the pressure that people feel, and and this has certainly been the case for me in baseball as well as as sales. Sometimes the pressure you feel, you know, is uh, is greater than the pressure that really exists in reality, right? And and so it's it, all self induced. Yeah, and it's good to keep things in perspective, right? And and to make sure that you're uh, you have the right mindset going into these calls. Nobody wants to He's talk to a stressed out salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no one does, right? No one wants to do that at all. Rachel Heaps says hi. Uh, she was on the show a few weeks ago. She's she's great. She she knows how to handle the pressure. Uh, Raji Koda, uh, happy new week. And Danny Marconi, uh, director of business development at Expedite Three Sixty Five. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to everyone out there watching this live right now on LinkedIn. So let's uh, uh let's talk about a, a topic. I, I I talk about it quite a bit. I was on 3PL Live doing a podcast last week, and we started talking about it, me and Jeremy. And uh, it's it's something I again I talk about quite often, but it's a very important thing. It's a very important um, uh, rule of sales uh, of selling anything, whether it's face to face on the phone, whether it's just marketing um, online. It is value creation. And it kind of feeds into, uh, and David Caulfield uh, writes about it a little bit in his book. He'll be on in a few minutes to talk about predictable irrationality, and it, it kind of goes, it kind of goes hand in hand because sometimes you can you can lay out a, a great deal of value for the cost, an ROI. You can get into that, and the more logical, the more business sense it makes, the more resistance you feel from your your client or your prospect. Right, because a lot of buying decisions are based on irrationality. But if you talk about the rational, logical point, it's it's all about value creation, right? And I use always use the example of if I'm offering you a dollar and one cents in value, and I'm going to charge you a dollar, I'm going to have a very rough life. I, I really am. I'm going to lose a lot, a lot of deals. Uh, it, it, it's just tough. And it goes into what David Hoffeld has in his book, the social exchange theory. And that's human relationships are based on a desire to maximize value and minimize costs. And that's kind of the, the same philosophy as in the economic definition of switching costs, right? So according to uh, Investopedia, switching costs are the costs that, are, that a consumer incurs as a result of changing brands, suppliers, or products. Although most prevalent switching costs are monetary in nature, there are also psychological, effort-based, and time-based switching costs. So if you're only going to get a penny in value over your costs or a 1% return, what's the point of switching, right? That, that's You're going to have to fight through that your entire time, right, Richie? Yeah, you, you have to take uh, your, your prospect's perspective into account, right? You have to put yourself in their shoes, and they're not only paying you for your product or service, most likely. They're also having to account for those switching costs and any other costs that may be related to moving to your product or solution. 
So that's wrapping up the, the, the entire cost. And so now you have to prove value and say, this is why it's worth your time. This is why it's worth your money, your resources. This is why it's worth your employees' time uh, or whatever, whatever it may be. And it's going to vary on what you're selling. Uh, but you have to take all of that into account to be able to create a true ROI and, and, and drive uh, you know, true value and so forth. Yeah, in, in, this, in a lot of industries, it's, it's easy to do. Like marketing, advertising, there's uh, publishing, right? There's sweeteners that you can add to a deal that's a lot of value for your customer that doesn't cost you hardly anything, and sometimes nothing. And sometimes you get a value out of offering that, right? Whether it's a, a plug here or a plug there or some, some inventory somewhere or a co-branding opportunity, right? It actually benefits your company as well as as your prospect and it costs you really nothing so it's something that you've mentioned out there when you're talking about freight sales about freight brokerage sales it sometimes it's tough because it seems like everything you're going to offer has a cost except for service right so uh, that that's where the, the really good lines of questioning the research comes in that to find out what your prospect or, or your current client really values that could be a one-stop type of deal that could be really focused niche products, uh, something that that really offers value that naturally you can include in there because if, if that value is now $5 for every dollar, right? Your life becomes easier. When it's $10, it becomes, the sell just becomes easier and easier. If you can offer $100 of value for every dollar that you charge, and that could be monetary. That could be, uh, you know, we, we said switching costs, not always monetary. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's well, it's fear, which is psychological and emotional. Uh, but it's that that's fear of failure, that that uh, minimizing costs and losses. Um, it, it, sometimes that's what you have to do, and that adds value, right? So if you can offer a hundred dollars value for every dollar that you charge you're going to have a lot of sales, right? Yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about value creation. I feel like it's more like value discovery, right? Like, I mean, if mm -hmm. you're walking into that, to that conversation and you're like, I need to go create value. I mean, you should be going in saying, I want to qualify this prospect, ask questions and uncover the value that exists, right? Like they're, they have a pain point and you want to ask questions to get down to the bottom of, whatever that pain point is, and then show how your product or solution can address that. And now you're, you're to joint uncovering the value as opposed to let me preach to you this value that I'm going to create. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's a that's a perfect term. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. But now you've just pointed a term on here too, Richie, is, is value discovery. Because a, a lot of what we're, we're talking about is just discovering what's value to the, the, the prospect or client. Right. Yeah, and that could be that they can switch their phone off at five o'clock and, and go to their, their, their kids baseball game or football game without always being, you know, they maybe sit down to dinner with that phone going off. Right. If you can solve that problem for them, you know, that's non-monetary. And that's only something that, that you're going to find through discovery. But that is an immense amount of value to a lot of people. So most everybody, really. Right. You can solve those problems. Right. The stress during the day of not knowing what's going to happen. If you can take away that stress and make their, their work life easier and maybe their personal life 
I mean, that's immense. That's that's where you get into the hundreds to thousands of dollars for every dollar charge. But you can only find that through discovery. Is it's not through preaching. This is the value I can give you. It's about discovering where to to add value. Preaching value is based on my assumptions of what I think you're, is valuable to you, and and I might get lucky and be right, or I could be wrong. But you can ask questions. And you can either validate or invalidate those assumptions that you have. And then you can set an environment to where that value is discovered by both parties. Hey, here, oh, I didn't know that about your situation. Um, that's really interesting that you said that our product can do X and, and help you out in that mm -hmm. way. Um, and so now it becomes more of a collaboration and, and less so of like, let me come preaching at you about all this value I got. <laughs> I know, right? That that's that's the preaching is not is not selling, right? Telling is not selling, right? You know the the, the old phrase there. Laurel Cornick, value discovery, love it. She's a, a dispatch auditor and office manager at Friend Offset Printing. And Eric Thornton here. Hope everyone had a great weekend and productive start to your week. I sure have, Eric. I hope you have too. So uh, there's LinkedIn, and you're mentioning that, Richie. It brings us to our next segment, right? And that is, is something that David Hoffield will be on here in a few minutes, The Science of Selling, and then Lee Salt's uh, Sales Differentiation. Uh, we had him on the show maybe three or four weeks ago and had him at our uh, 3PL Summit that, that we had back in, in March. And it is always about, you know, never make a feature, a benefit, a differentiation statement, and then leave it up to the other party to decide what the conclusion is. You always have to explicitly state what that feature is, right? And that's one of the, the, the difficulties and the problems right now with feature benefit. You know, we're all trained, you know, not to talk about features, but talk about benefits. But if you talk about benefits really generically, uh, that's really no better than talking about the feature itself. You really have to tailor it through, and it's tailored through what? Discovery, right? Yeah, you, features and benefits should be applicable to your prospect. Why bring up a feature or a benefit that doesn't apply? It might be really cool, but if the response is, that's really cool, and I don't know how it applies to me, then what have you accomplished? You know, like, um, you don't want to sell chainsaws to a fence builder. You're, you know, like, you want to make sure that yeah, what, yeah. Like, what you're selling is is what they need. Um, it's something that I've been guilty of uh, and, in mm -hmm. the past. It's certainly easy, a lot easier to talk about these things and to execute them. But, um, but yeah, it's, you're spot on. You need to understand your client and, and your prospect and the situation that they're in and be able to provide features and solutions ultimately that address their issues. Yeah, you know, how many times have you seen, hey, I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it, you know, it, you say, oh, this is a great feature and this is the benefit you're going to get. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, it's not important. And then you try to force them to see what that benefit is and how that will help them. And drop every you drop everything else and you just focus on that. And you go round and round. I mean, if they don't care, go on to what they do care about. You know, find out what they care about. Don't try to force benefits that they're not. They're not open to hearing right now or they care less about. Quit forcing them to, to see things the way you see them. And I, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago when David was on here, we were talking about this, you know, training and doing sales from the salesperson's 
perspective instead of just doing it from the buyer's perspective. Yeah, it's easy to do, especially when you're in a fast-paced environment where you're, you have lots of sales calls in a day and you get into a rhythm. It can be really easy to uh, to just go back to, this is what I know, this is what I need to say, and your comfort zone, if you will. It can be a bit vulnerable and a bit uncomfortable to take the perspective of, I want to hear about you first, and I want to understand what you're doing first and, and start using that as a jump-off point. Uh, but I think it's vital too. And, and I think the more and more you do, you practice that, the more natural it can become and the more comfortable you can become in that role or in that line of questioning. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always about practice, right? Mm. Everything in life is is always about practice and that's what it is. Uh, Andrew Bounds here, Director of Business Development, dedicated services at Schneider, the consultative sales approach. And that's... Uh, you know, I, I think Duna and I did this episode uh, a few weeks back, you know, is consultant, like being a consult, you know, being a salesperson is, is like the minor leagues, right? Whereas being the consultant is the major leagues, right? If you can be viewed as a consultant, that's when, when sales becomes much, much easier, but you have to go through all that practice, all that discovery, right? It's, it's always uh, about discovery. It's, it's about showing up to meetings and not even, uh, you know, uh, at first not trying to sell anything, just trying to find out what you can maybe sell somebody at a certain point in the future. And it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might be three years from now. But, but finding out all that information instead of coming in and uh, just uh, just throwing out features of benefits like, uh, like, like they're, they're, they're snowballs. And I would even go so far as to say, you don't know that you have anything to sell them. That is an assumption yeah. that you're walking into the call with. And so um, I think if you solve that assumption first, like, let me let, let me see if, if I think that this is my assumption. This is why I'm coming into the call with. But let me hear from you. Let's see if there's a fit here. Right. And then start at the very yeah. ground and then and build up from there. So, Richard, let, let's go through. Uh... Let's go through that with your sales cycle and uh, what, what we have here at Sonar called SCI, which is not a CBS prime time crime drama. That's a huge component of what we do uh, on the Sonar team is understanding what our clients are trying to do, how they're set up, where their pain points are. You know, we have so much data and so many solutions available on Sonar. If we just talk about benefits and we talk about uh, features, then we can run through a two-hour call in no time and never, ever say anything that's really resonating. Um, so it's, you know, qualification and really understanding what our clients are trying to achieve and how they're trying to grow, how they're set up, what pain they're feeling is vital uh, to making sure that what we present in regards to data and solutions uh, is applicable uh, and is going to drive that value. And you know, especially taking into account that they're not only paying for sonar, but they're probably having to have those other costs that are associated with, you know, you know, spending time and maybe, you know, dev time if they're doing API integrations or, or training time for their, you know, those people that are going to have UI logins and so forth. There's additional costs that are built in, in and above, you know, what they're paying. So it's vital that we make sure that, you know, what the value that we are showing is well above that because you know the only way we're growing as a company is if our users are getting a tremendous amount of value out of the platform and then we can all grow together uh so yeah 
you know, qualification and getting to know our clients and, and what they're feeling and, and what, how they want to grow, what their problems are and so forth is, uh, you know, super important. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about. And there are, there are, it is. and there's, there's times, Kevin, where early on in the questioning, they may have some sort of niche where we don't have a solution for them and we're straightforward and you say, yeah, Hey, can't help you out. And at least we can be honest and be mindful of everyone's time and leave off on good terms so that when that situation does change, they know that they can trust us. Right. So we, we, we want to remove as many assumptions as we can so that the, the people that we're working with understand fully the value that we can provide. That's very understandable. I, you know, tell me a little bit about SCI because I, I've been, you know, my, my first year or so at Freight Waves, I was in Sonar every single day for hours. Mm -hmm. And now I'm more on the media side, so uh, my my times my my time spent over here. So I, I'm not as involved in and in down in the weeds and and in sonar as much as I I, I have been. So you know, give, give me a, a little brief synopsis of really what SCI is. Yeah, so SCI is is pretty straightforward. You know, we have a a separate data collection, which is about $80 billion in settled contract rates. Uh, it's a large and rich collection of settled contract rates. So these aren't rates that are being reported to us. We're not having to wait for people to send these, in these rates. We're actually pulling it at the level of trans, at the transaction level from that software that's settling those, those uh, transactions. Mm -hmm. So what that allows our clients to do is look at the average market rate on a lane. And this is information that's updating every 24 hours. So if I want to look back, what's the average rate in the last six months or eight months, whatever it may be, that's coming all the way up to today, right? All the way up to this morning. Uh, so, you know, our clients can look at, you know, the average contract rate for banner refrigerated, uh, but then they can go a step further and see, okay, based on the type of freight that I'm moving, what's the average rate for my peer group? So let's, let's, break up all of the freight on this lane into thirds in regards to the cost, right? Like what NAICS uh, codes compose the bottom third, the middle third, and the, the top third. And then let's identify what is that average rate. So now not only are you seeing uh, what's the average rate on a lane, but what's the peer average rate. And that's important because if you're moving drive-in freight, um, maybe it's vastly different than automotive parts, and that could be a heavy automotive lane. And so you want to be able to benchmark not only against the overall lane, but you know the type of freight that you that you're moving. And then above that, we also give visibility into the conditions uh, of that lane to a carrier. Right. You know, what's a lane score? How attractive is this lane to a carrier from a, a reload perspective or a load balance perspective? And that can be helpful for understanding those lanes that are high risk lanes where it's not attractive in a load balance uh, situation. And, and there's probably high likelihood that there could be some turnover if conditions tighten in that origin market. Um, and yeah, so that, that can help you understand where you need more depth in your routing guide if you're a shipper or at least, you know, what what that attractiveness is. And you can do a number of things with that. So the ability to upload and download different templates and different you know, collections of, of lanes and, and be able to understand all this information about each lane specifically. Uh, I mean, the sky is the limit with what you can do with that information. But what's important is for us to understand what our clients are, are looking to achieve. Are they service-minded? Are they price-minded? Um, are, they, are they wanting to put out big bids, annual bids, mini bids, three months, six months, and then making sure that we can position those offerings in a way where it's providing them that value.
Yeah, it goes back to the, there's just not one market, right? We were talking about Omar last week and talking about different aspects of the spot market, right? And, and different, you know, so so if you take Dallas to Chicago, right? Like Dallas to Chicago, it depends a little bit on the industry commodity that's on there, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the locations, the, the, the timing of the shipments uh, of what that rate's really going to be. And that's what it, it looks like everything is breaking down into that right there, right, Richie? Yeah, definitely. And and being able to drill down to a three-digit zip code to three-digit zip code granularity, right? So we're able to, um, you know, get down to, you know, understanding that there's a, a lot of three-digit zip codes in some of these major metropolis areas, and, you know, they could be somewhat different, you know? So getting granular mm -hmm. with that information is certainly helpful. Um, and yeah, yeah, and then even then, when you start getting to these rural areas, making sure that the zip codes that you're looking at there are applicable as well. And when we start zooming out to get the critical mass that we need, making sure that it's weighted up appropriately so that you're getting an accurate rate for that specific lane. So, you know, what data science has done there is, is truly remarkable, and and being able to provide provide accurate con uh, accurate average contract rates on virtually all the OD pairs imaginable from a zip three to zip three standpoint. Exactly right. Exactly right. Very good. So we have David Hoffeld who's going to join us right now. We're going to talk, we've been talking about very logical things. We're going to talk about predictable irrationality and the role of emotions in cells influence just human nature in general. How are we doing today, David? Good. How are you uh, both? It's great to be back with you, by the way. Hey, it's great to have you back. It's, it's always a pleasure for our audience. Uh, you know, give a brief introduction of yourself and the science of selling and what you have come down the, the pipeline. Yeah, I'm David Hoppeld. I'm CEO of Hoppeld Group. We're a research-based sales training, coaching, consulting firm. Uh, I've written the book. It's just over my shoulder, The Science of Selling, and have another book coming out about this time next year that um, again delves into the many ways we can apply science to become very successful in selling. Fantastic. So uh, if you didn't catch the first episode, it was two weeks ago. So you can go back to that and, and go to Freight Waves TV and, and watch that, or you can find it on Freightcast uh, on, on the podcast version of it. So uh, we ran out of time last, uh, last time you were on the show, David, and I really want to talk about predictable or predictive irrationality because uh you know we've been talking about, about very logical things in sales right now but we know if you've been in sales at any point in your career you know that a lot of buying is based on and, and ourselves right you can just look at yourselves uh, a lot of how, why we buy is based on emotions even more than logic yeah yeah you're exactly right and this is often uh, a big uh, aha moment for people when they when they grasp this, especially in sales, because we are predictably irrational. Now, what does that mean exactly? Um, we're predictable. We, as human beings, we behave in certain very predictable ways, which scientists have cataloged what triggers certain behavior. But we're also irrational, meaning we do irrational things but we do them over and over and over again. And understanding this really gives us a lot of insight into how we work, how we make decisions, and perhaps equally important, how we can engage others and help them through the buying process. So to give you an example, 
um, of what, what, we, what we mean exactly when we say we're predictably irrational. Um, one study uh, a number of years ago looked at uh, selling people insurance for when they were doing international travel. And they offered some people insurance that would cover them if they died for any reason on the flight. And they offered other people insurance that would only pay out if they perished because of a terrorist attack. And they found that people were willing to pay far more for insurance that covered them against a terrorist attack than insurance that covered them for any reason. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, logically, right? You think, well, <laughs> wouldn't I pay more for insurance that would cover me against terrorism and anything else? But because mm -hmm. the researchers found the idea of a terrorist attack produces such strong emotions, it also produces heightened levels of value, so people will pay more for it. So that is literally just one of the thousands of examples and studies that have looked at how is it that we are predictably irrational? We act in predictable ways, but it's not always backed by logic. In fact, it's driven by emotions. It's funny you say that. I felt that acutely when I was working in the travel industry. Uh, you know, this is probably five, six years ago, and there were a number of different terrorist attacks in France and throughout Europe, and we had all kinds of cancellations come in. People were like, I don't want to go on my trip anymore. And I showed them statistics and I said, here, here, here's the probability of, of dying in the U.S. from gun violence, from terrorist attacks and versus the probability for where you're going. I mean, what are you, are you still waiting to cancel? And they would look at, at the, the, the facts and the rationality and they say, yeah, I'm just not comfortable. And, and so it, it was, uh, that was something that I've, I've definitely dealt with before. And so when I read that in your book, it was like, <laughs> yep, I can, uh, I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. The, it's great. You brought that up because that really helps us understand what emotions do. So when we talk about this, it's really helpful to define the best way I've ever heard this described, this very complex, but the simplest and easiest to grasp way. Uh, one neuroscientist said it like this, and I actually quoted him in my book, The Science of Selling. He said, when you see something, someone walking towards you, it's the logical part of your brain, right? The neocortex and other parts that allow you to look at that individual and say, she's my cousin. But it's the emotions. It's the emotional part of your brain that allows you to then say, and I can't stand her, right? And that's what emotions <laughs> do. They, they help us prioritize. They help us say, why is one thing better than another? That's an emotional assessment. So we know this because there has been so many studies done over the last few decades of people that have had brain injury where they can't access their emotions. And throughout human history, if you read philosophers from the last few centuries, we, they've always fantasized about what if we could create a purely logical human being Someone that wasn't strayed, you know, pulled astray by emotions. We have that. People that have had brain injuries where they can't access parts of the brain that are linked with emotions or very little access to them. What happens? And the opposite of what we thought would happen is what happens. They can't make decisions. They struggle. So there's so many instances of people who have had a brain injury where they can't access their emotions and they struggle to make basic decisions. They struggle to determine right from wrong, high value activities from low value activities. 
uh, when they do things like gambling, they're horrible at gambling because the things that allow us to say, okay, I'm going to fold or I'm, eh, that's not a good situation for me. I don't want to do that. They can't access their emotions. So they struggle to create those assessments. So emotions are a vital part of our decision-making process. It's how we say whether something is of high value and I want to move forward or not enough value for me to part with my money. That is an emotional assessment. So it's not that emotions are bad. Emotions are ingrained in the decision-making process. And the more we can understand that and address those when we're selling, the more effective we'll be. And more importantly, the more we can help those we're selling to make buying decisions they'll feel great about. So emotions are a major part of every buying decision. It's just whether or not we're addressing them or we're presenting only a logical presentation that's not engaging someone's emotions and therefore not helping them make a buying decision. I think we've all been in that situation. I think we've all, we all know people and we've been this way ourselves probably on certain instances where it's paralysis by analysis. And yes. we see that very smart, sometimes the most intelligent people in the room can't make a decision because they're tied up in what will happen. And it kind of goes to the, the example that you have in the book of the, 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 the gentleman who is trying to schedule an appointment and just couldn't uh, schedule a follow-up because he was going through all these different variables instead of, you know, I, I think a lot of risk-taking, and which is business, right? Whenever you execute in business or in life in general, you're, you're taking a risk. You have to calculate those risks, and you have to go with your feelings uh, a little bit. Paralysis, paralysis, I can't even say it, paralysis by analysis uh, we see very smart people who just get wrapped up in that and they can just never, ever make a decision. Yeah, it's it's very true. And oftentimes, uh, from a selling point of view, it's how the decision, decision is presented to them, right? So we're not engaging them in ways that help them perceive high levels of value. But all of us can get caught up in, you know, just looking at the logic of something to your point, and, it mm -hmm. and we struggle with making a decision. And the, the problem with that is we all have a default as human beings. Anytime mm -hmm. there's, we don't feel confident, meaning we don't create a strong emotional assessment to move forward, we always do one thing, and that is nothing. We call it the status quo bias in yep. behavioral science. If you've been in sales, uh, you, you know this, right? All of you have, I know I have, lost more business to nothing than to someone. So our biggest competitor yep. is the status quo. And so if people don't feel confident, or if we don't feel confident when making a decision, what do we default to? Well, we stick with what we have because we perceive less risk with doing that. And that's not always accurate. Sometimes staying with mm -hmm. the status quo is extremely risky and change is in our best interest. But if we don't feel confident in what that change should be or how it should be deployed, we default to the status quo bias, which can be really dangerous for businesses, for us in our personal lives, when we stick with things that aren't working just because we're not exactly sure or don't have the perfect way forward. It can be a problematic. So identifying this, I would say it's hard to fight against the unknown, and this science makes things clear. So when you understand kind of what's going on, whether you're in a sales situation or just personally, when you go, okay, it's now you can take steps to be more effective in your own personal decision-making, 
and when you're engaging others, trying to help them through a buying process. Yeah, I, you're exactly right. It's all about confidence, right? And that, that's one of the, the, the biggest emotions that, that come in with the sales. So and, and go to the book a little bit too about, you know, I, I forget the gentleman's name and, and no one knows his name and attributes the quote to him because everyone uses it anyway, is selling the sizzle, not the steak. Right. And that's a lot of that is about confidence, right? Yeah, Elmer Wheeler, you're talking about. This is a famous sales trainer, uh, marketing guru from the middle of the 20th uh, century that uh, hasn't got the recognition. But yeah, he has that quote um, mm -hmm. You sell the sizzle, not the steak. It's one of his called Wheelerisms. But it's, um, yeah, and it's the idea that a lot of times it's that, you know, it's the idea is selling the value of something and you know he was trying to convey you're you're not selling a steak you're selling the sizzle of it you're not selling a product you're selling what that product can do or that service can do those outcomes to really present the uh the value of what's being offered and that's an important part because the assertion of value or the perception of value rather is an emotional assessment Right to say, okay, that is good. Uh, that's emotions, and so the way we do that is is really important to really make sure we're actively trying to engage people's emotions and not to the point made earlier, just giving a logical. Here's what our product does. Here's our company. We've been in business for this long. We have the best people. You know, blah blah blah. No one cares, mm -hmm. right? They just go, okay, yeah. Uh, but how do I make it? so that they perceive high levels of value. And that is a major part of selling and a lot that science reveals kind of how to do that as well. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. And uh, certainly something that I've been guilty of and throughout sales is, and, and, and you know, listening to you talk about philosophy and the inability to make decisions, it makes me think back to the TV show, A Good Place. And they have a, a moral philosopher character, Chidi, and Chidi can't make decisions about anything because he's trying to weigh the rational moral obligations that he has as a moral philosopher to do anything. So he's just frozen constantly and loses all of his friends because of that and so forth. Um, that's a really good kind of comic representation of that. But, you know, thinking back into, you know, what I've learned at up into this point in regards to sales is the, the the value of creating a story that can move people emotionally and it's almost like order of operations right you still have to have the logic you can't abandon logic altogether because then it's too easy to fall into manipulation and all these other sorts of nefarious practices you have to, you want to start at least as far as i understand it and, and i i think i was first kind of saw this concept visualized with Simon Sinek's golden circle where you're starting with a, a why or like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you having this conversation? Why am I in business and trying to engage somebody emotionally first. And then after that emotional engagement has been, has been set and been made and you've, you know, gotten that response, then the, the, the prospect starts looking to, confirm what they're feeling emotionally with the logic so the logic is the confirmation of what of the feelings that i have um i thought you might have you know be able to expand on that a bit more but at, at least that's that's my understanding is that the the order of things is very very important 
Yeah, no, you're spot on that emotions matter. We've talked about that. We can't abandon logic, though, because then people, you know, that's when you wake up the next day and you go, what did I just do? Right. And you're, you know, we've all had that. We've made decisions. <laughs> and then the next morning we wake up and we go, oh, no. Why didn't I do that? <laughs> there was no logic behind the decision. It was purely emotional, and that doesn't work either. So we need both at play. But I think you, you mentioned something that I think is important to call attention to, and that is the impact of stories. So when we talk about engaging people emotionally, uh, one very effective way to also engage them in a logical way, too, that's entertaining and not boring, is through stories. So sharing, whether it's the story of your company or what's really impactful is other clients of yours who were in this similar situation as the buyer you're talking to. So similarity amplifies the persuasiveness of a, of a story in a sale. So if, if I'm like the person you're sharing about, I resonate with them more. And when a story is told effectively, it really engages people on an emotional level and this is seen through a number of things. One is the retention rate of stories. When you take a, a statement of fact or a value and you share it, uh, studies have found that about 5% of, of the time that'll be recalled within a week. They can remember it if you press them and ask them about it. When you take that fact and wrap it in a story, you're looking at a 63% retention rate. So the retention rate goes up, and this can be really impactful when you need a message to be conveyed throughout an organization. So let's say I'm selling to one individual, not the whole buying unit. And so I need this individual to go and kind of share with the board or share with his or her boss, kind of what we've talked about. Wrapping the value that I offer in a story will help it be remembered and it'll be more likely to be shared and it engages people. When a story is told well, it, it really keeps people on the edge of their seat because we think in terms of stories. It's how our brains instinctively work. And so we're tapping into that. And one final thing about stories, too, when it comes to emotions and, and logic, stories are not processed the way um, a statement of fact or a value is. Uh, for example, a good uh, way to think about this is um, a movie, right? All of us have been emotionally moved when watching a movie. Yet we know, logically, none of this is real. I mean, these are actors wearing someone else's mm -hmm. clothes, saying someone else's words on a movie set, right? None of this is real, but we're still moved by it, right? Because we process it differently. Uh, we, we know all this logic, but we experience it emotionally and it moves us. And so stories have that similar effect Whereas you can really convey a lot of value and really engage someone effectively during the sale, logic and emotions through the power of a well-told, concise, relevant story. And, and a well-told story is, is vitally important. You br bring up movies, which is, is very good because uh, you, you also go in and, and we have these stats all, all over the place, nonverbal communication, right? Only 7% of human communication is conveyed through the actual words we use, right? Um, the other 93% are divvied up between um, body language and tone. And I forget the exact numbers. I think you, you probably do know the exact numbers because they're in the book. Um, and you talk about uh, positive emotions, getting people into and prospects 
customers, clients into a positive state of mind using both verbal and nonverbal uh, language and, and, and communications. Absolutely. Yeah, that's critical. One of the things we found in the research is a little bit alarming, and that is you can do everything right. But if you're presenting to someone who's in a negative emotional state, they perceive everything you say in a negative way. And, and think about it as a bad mood. Uh, you know, when you or I are in a bad mood, I know my kids know this, right? They know that when dad's in a good mood, that's a time to ask for stuff, right? Because dad's more likely to say, mm -hmm. sure, why not, right? And when I'm not in a good mood, well, they know that's not the best time to ask for things. So our buyers are the exact same way. When they're in a positive emotional state, they perceive things more positively. And, and vice versa is also true. One researcher at Cornell, Alice Eitzen, referred to this almost as wearing rose-colored glasses. So she says, in a negative emotional state, it's almost like you're putting on rose-colored glasses and you look around and well, everything is with rose-colored glasses, rosy. When you have a negative emotional state, everything is skewed negative. So in other words, a good presentation won't be viewed as, as good as it is when someone's in a negative emotional state. So what can you do? number of things. We talked about nonverbal behaviors. One thing is our nonverbal behaviors are incredibly influential, both how we present, called emotional cognition, meaning we people catch our emotions like we catch a cold. So if you're enthusiastic, people will often get more engaged. If you're if you're, you know, act as if you're bored to even be in the meeting, well, it's usually reciprocated pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. So the way we act, but also the research shows the way other people act. So even getting someone, if you're face to face, getting someone to lean in or getting them to change their body language or move or would you mind, you know, grabbing this or getting them to move will often help shake them out of emotions as well. Um, there's a number of things you can do really also by conveying your passion, strong beliefs can influence an emotional state. Conveying high levels of value can also do this. Discussing topics that might be interesting to your buyers. So let's say I'm on a call with someone and this is our fifth call and I know them well enough. I know they um, they love the vacation in uh, wherever. Um, they love to go mm -hmm. to a resort in Florida, let's say. And so we're talking and I can see they're just not in a good frame of mind. And, I'm, and I can ask them, any plans to get to Florida anytime soon? Oh, no. Now, the last time you went there was about nine months. And what resort do you guys usually go to? I'm curious because we were considering in the future when we go on down there and showing the kids Disney. Oh, we go to this, right? And they perk up. Certain topics will also perk people up. So being aware of those. And then final, final thing you can do. Let's say none of that's working. Uh, there's something called the Hawthorne effect, which is really interesting, which is calling attention to what someone doing was doing will often especially when it comes to a negative emotional state, shake them out of it. So let's say they're in a negative emotional state and the meeting mm -hmm. is not going well in the first few minutes and you've tried a couple of these things, nothing's really working. You could say, uh, Bob, is everything all right? You, you seem like uh, maybe you're not feeling as well as normal. And then he'll oftentimes, one or two things will happen. Bob might say, yeah, it's kind of been a rough day. And then you can try to reschedule for a better day. Or he might say, oh, sorry, no, 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 I'm okay. It was just, you know, something happened a little earlier today, but I'm good, and he'll perk up. So oftentimes, really respectful, really gently, but if nothing else works, just calling attention to that will 
often make a big difference because when you call awareness to something, now they become aware of it and they either A, will perk up and get in a more positive emotional state, or they'll tell you, yeah, this isn't really a good time. Either of those are good for you. Better to reschedule than to do a whole presentation or have a whole important meeting when someone's not going to be receptive. Reschedule for a better time, or oftentimes they'll perk up. So those strategies will work. Emotions are complex, but using a few of them will often make a noticeable difference to get people more engaged, get them in a more positive, receptive emotional state, and set you and them up for a lot more success. One thing that I guess one question that comes to mind is a lot of this makes sense when it's talking to an individual, but when you're selling to a group, let's say there's 10 people on the call, uh, let's say, you know, maybe there's five people there, but there's a lot of different people and there's different, you know, some people may be in a good emotional state. Some people may not be, and you have a mix. What are your thoughts on, on those dynamics when you're selling to a group versus an individual? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's often where you're at too in sales. In the individual, it's easier because you can call attention to behavior, like I just mentioned, in a group, not able to do that. So there, what you're really depending on is um, often when you walk in before you begin, even having a few minutes of informal conversation, we often refer to this as a warm-up, can be really helpful where you try to engage people in the group in just a positive fun conversation as you're getting ready to begin. Another thing you can do is the way you present, right? There's something called, I mentioned earlier, called emotional cognition. We catch another's emotions. And the research on this is really interesting. So let's say you're talking to a group and a few of them are just not in a positive emotional state. Um, so whose emotions win? Researchers have looked in this when someone has positive emotions and some another person has negative which ones will be more catchy? And what they've shown is the one who expresses the emotion strongest. So if I'm in a room and people are not engaged, let's say whatever happened before I walked in wasn't good, nothing to do with me, and then I'm up and I've got to engage them and, and try to sell to them. And I can see, okay, a few of these individuals are, they don't want to be here. Uh, I'm going to turn it up a little bit, right? I'm going to try to convey more positive emotions, and I'm really going to try to be at my best. So I'm not going to shrink down. In, in other words, I'm not going to mirror their negative emotional state. I'm going to do the opposite. I want to try to make my state more catchy, more infectious. And so I'm going to up it a little bit. I'm still going to be me, but let's say this is my normal level. I might raise it up 5%. So it's still natural. It's still authentic. But I want to try to engage them and bring them in and if I see that as well, I'm probably going to introduce a story pretty quickly because I got to capture them, right? All of us can relate to this where we have been talking to a salesperson or we heard a speaker and we weren't in a great mood when it began. But by the time it ended, we're feeling awesome. Why? That individual, we got infected with their positive emotions. The way they communicated drew us in. And their state was stronger than ours, and it infected us and made us feel better, more optimistic, more receptive. So we can do that, too. So in that situation, you want to be really proactive, recognize what's going on, and then immediately, you know, draw in a story, perk it up, try to make sure that you're drawing them into the positive emotions. And if you can do that, that's going to set you up for success. And more often than not, um, you'll be able to, not always, because sometimes emotional states can be caused by a lot of 
sometimes uh, tragic things and we can't deal with. But if it's just they're having a rough day, oftentimes your positive emotions will infect them and at least make them more receptive than they were as you continue on in your presentation. You're exactly right with that. And back in the day when I first got out of college, I was an anthropologist, right? And that is a universal human trait. Uh, you know, if you talk about small talk before you begin a meeting, yeah. but, but certainly with language and emotion and that, that sharing of that is something that you see in every single culture. It's a very universal human trait. Um, and again, thanks for, thanks for coming on again today. Uh, we're, we're out of time here. I, I we'll, we'll have you on next month, I think. You know, you want to come back in May and, and do another discussion? I love it. I love it. Appreciate you guys' oh, time. Great. Thanks so much. Great. And, Thanks, and how does uh, how does our audience reach out and, and, and contact you, David, and, and buy Science of Selling? Yeah, well, the Science of Selling is available anywhere fine books are sold. And you can reach out to me at my website, um, Huffeld, H-O-F-F-E-L-D group dot com. A lot of great resources on there for you to check out to learn more about science-based selling. But go to huffeldgroup.com to learn more. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Very good. So, Richie, another exciting uh, talk with David Huffeld. Uh, and, uh, and I always learn something when I talk to him. Yeah. And I always think, where did that hour go? And uh, I want another hour or two with the guy to, to keep going down some of these rabbit holes. I mean, it's it's such good information and and it makes logical sense and it makes emotional sense. It's uh, it's tying the knot there. Mm -hmm. It is. It, it takes both logic and emotion. And, and hearing the research and hearing the studies and the stories, I think we've kind of heard about them uh, before in our lives, maybe, but bringing those up in in and to the front of our minds, you know, logic, logic and rationality are important, but it's, 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 it's how we analyze risks maybe, but emotion is where we take risks or we take a, a, a foot forward. You know, I mean, when you say risks, it always sounds a little bit negative, but it's always good taking risks. Yeah. It's, it's emotions seem to be the first step. Right. And, and that's, mm -hmm. That's the first mover is, oh, I feel good about this. And then then the it seems like the response after I feel good about this is, okay, how can I validate this feeling? You start looking for that validation. You want mm -hmm. to validate it. And so now your logic is is going through the channel of how can I justify this, right? Like when I'm looking at that that picture of the beach resort down in the Caribbean, and I'm imagining myself sitting on those sands and, and having that martini mm -hmm. or whatever it is, or margarita in my hand, I'm going in my brain, how can I make this happen? <laughs> Here's a story yeah, yeah, that is yeah. engaging me emotionally. And now I'm looking at my checkbook. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm looking at the mm -hmm. logical things that justify me doing that or making that into a reality. And so I think it's important from a sales perspective to keep that in mind. You, you engage with the story, you present the story, you engage emotionally. And then as soon as you recognize that they are, uh, you know, bought in and they see the value, now here's the, the logic for your justification for moving forward. You're exactly right. Yeah. Go into emotion, make them want to have that, to change the status quo, right? Because uh, David's uh, perfectly right about that. We've lost, every salesperson's lost, but their biggest competitor is the status quo. You know, not getting someone to accept change of a situation that they don't like. They'll, they'll readily admit they don't like the situation they're in, 
but a lot of times you're not offering them the right solution to get out of it. So start with that emotional getting out of that, selling the sizzle, and then giving them a path of how to get out of it and what it really means at, at the end of the day, right? Get them down to the, the resort in the, the, the Caribbean, you know, make them want to get down there and then show them how to get down there. And that's the, uh, the formula for, for a great sell. So let's give away uh, let's give away a copy of the book, The Science of Selling. Can you give me a number between one and one seventeen? Oh, let's go with eighty-four. I don't know why I came to mind, but uh, it's first two days. Yeah. So this is Erica Reitz or Reitz, Erica Reitz, R E I S S. Uh, we'll send you out a, a copy of this book. I'll DM you and uh, and get the details, and I'll send you out a copy. Uh, it's a great book. I, I, I finished uh, reading it over the weekend and. And I uh, highly recommend it. So there's some, some really great books out there. And, and no matter what book you read, if you're a salesperson, read a sales book. Read, read one a month, one every two months. Uh, it, it really does help in the, in the sales game to, 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 to go out and, and, and put in the time and effort to, to learn the craft, you know, and, you know, listen to put that copy down, read some books, get really good at what you're going to do. Um, Virtual conferences. We're going to talk about virtual conferences as well. Our next one coming up, it's a one-day conference. It's the Net Zero Carbon Summit. Uh, everyone's looking to uh, really enact plans to decarbonize, to get to that net zero in the next uh, decade or two. And we're going to talk all about that as it relates to transportation and logistics. We have AB InBev talking. We have Cummins. We have Norfolk Southern. We have Incubax. We have Bring. Uh, we have a Flexport, Opus, so a wide range uh, of people who uh, touch upon that net zero carbon process. Also, C.H. Robinson is going to come in. Uh, they, they have a, uh, a, a carbon IQ, emissions IQ uh, tool that they just announced last week. They're going to talk about that at the conference, too. So uh, you can go to live.freightwaves.com, register. It's always free, uh, like any of our other live events and uh so that comes up earth day next friday april 22nd so uh plenty of time to go in and register and then coming up right after that is drone waves on april 30th that's one day as well free you can find that at live.freightwaves.com but it is the future of drones and drone delivery also what what planning needs to be done by different municipalities to really make that transition as smooth as possible. So we have a great lineup of events coming up, Richie, and uh, I, I know you'll be there for for each of those. Yeah, two. Certainly, and that wraps it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, and so that kind of wraps it up for this episode of Put That Coffee Down. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive, because when is expensive? I got expensive, because when is expensive? I've been reading out of work. I've been shutting down the stars.